Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Good to see you again. Um, this week's episode, I'm actually out of town, so I'm recording this a few week or so out uh, from when this will release. But um, there is actually um, no video for this one for my guest um, this week. He was having some problems with his um, computer. But um, I'll still put it on YouTube, but um, if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize. There's no guest video this week. Um, however, it is a really good episode. Um, this week, I sit down with Dan Picard from Eastman's Elevated and Beyond the Grid TV. Um, he's a killer hunter. Um, he does a lot of work with Brian Barney out there with Eastman's. Um, and he produces the Beyond the Grid TV series on YouTube, which is an awesome series. Um and so, you know, Eastman's has tons of great stuff that they're doing, including Eastman's Tag Hub, which um, I've been using a little bit and excited to tell you guys more about that. Um, but for now, um, enjoy this episode with Dan. You know, um, he actually did um, give me a couple tips in this episode. He's a big time bow hunter and I'm actually, um, when this releases, I'll be in Arizona bow hunting. And so um, he actually gave me a couple tips uh, to make some kind of last minute tweaks to my archery setup that actually um, really tightened up my groups considerably um, in a short amount of time. So stick around for that if you're interested. Um, but um, it's just a good conversation about bow hunting and, uh, and kind of a lot of different things. So I hope you guys enjoy it and I will see you on the next episode. I'm here with my guest today, Dan Picard from Eastman's. How you doing, brother? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. I've um, uh, been looking forward to this. I've you know I've seen a lot of your y'all stuff on uh, Beyond the Grid TV, and um, I connected with Scott Reekers. Um, is it Reeker or Reekers? I always mess that up. Yeah, it's Reekers with an S. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we did a podcast together a couple weeks ago, and um, or no, it's just yeah, maybe a week or two ago, and he. He suggested, uh, well, he asked if anybody else at Eastman's would be cool to talk to. And I said, well, I already talked to Brian, but I'd love to talk to Dan. So it's good to set something up. Thanks, man. Yeah, heck yeah. My pleasure. I always love getting on and chatting. And you just never know where these conversations go. So <laughs> that's the fun of it. Yeah, man. So are you are you in Wyoming? Yeah. Yep. I'm here at the main office. Uh, we're outside Cody, Wyoming, 20 miles. Okay. Nice, so, man. I just uh, hunted for the first time ever out there this year. Um I was in, uh, well, I was in the unit between see, Casey and, I guess it was between Casey and uh, Cody. No, 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 Casper and Casey. Oh, sure. Yeah, out, out east there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were doing an antelope hunt, so that was fun. But right. Wyoming's an awesome place, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's lots of opportunity here and, and uh, you know, a fair amount of public land to get out there and enjoy it. So, can't complain. Yeah, are you from out there? I'm actually from Northwest Montana. Okay, uh, I, I grew up uh, in Columbia Falls, outside Glacier Park. So, gotcha. Uh, up, up there, I mean, we're pretty close to Canada, and uh, it's it's just like a jungle, <laughs> kind of opposite from down here with the desert. Wide open, yeah. Well, have you been following the uh, corner hopping um, court case and all that going on? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, man, I'm, I'm all about, uh, for opening public lands and, you know, all this 
public property that's basically landlocked because of corners. Yeah. Uh, but there, there are a lot of issues that uh, that would cause. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I, I talked to a guy, which he has some outfitter buddies up in Montana, several. And so his contacts, they, well, ranchers, they're not contacts. I mean, they're rancher neighbors of them. Yeah. Are participating in the block management program up in Montana, and this whole corner crossing push—that's, uh, I mean, it, it's all through basically BHA, and they had some guys on their property that had BHA stickers, and now they're pushing this corner crossing thing, and so mm-hmm. they're pulling out of the block management program. They're fed up with it, and of course, hmm. the, the landowners, the private guys, are against it. Um, for a multitude of reasons, which I'm sure everybody knows. Yeah. Um, so I think there's good and bad to it. Uh, for me, it would be nice to be able to corner cross on some of these areas. It would open up yeah. a lot. And I think ultimately it should be legal. But uh, there's just, there's always going to be those unintended effects or consequences that we, sure. we you know, aren't seeing right now that's going to affect us negatively. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, but I'm, I'm for it ultimately. Yeah. It's always been kind of a, I know it's always been kind of a gray area and I guess it'll be good, you know, either way to kind of have a definitive answer. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I mean, several years ago, well, several decades ago, 30 years ago, there, there was a court case on it Hmm. uh, saying that, you know, the precedent has already been set. It's not legal. But there's a lot of people that think it's legal. There's a lot of people that think it's illegal. And I've even heard of game wardens in certain areas and states that won't cross, you know, they won't ticket you for Mm -hmm. it. Uh, So there's a lot of misinformation out there or just mixed information, should I say, out there. So it would be be nice to have clarity, you know, statewide and, and, you know, West nationwide, really. Yeah. (laughs) For sure, man. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned you're you're from Montana, and um, just for folks that may not know much about you, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your backstory and just uh, you know how how you got it linked up with Eastman's, maybe even how you got into to filming and stuff like that. I'd be interested to hear all that. So, kind of what's what's your story, man? Yeah, I started really young. I was I was lucky that I came from a hunting family. My dad hunted when he was a kid, and uh, into his adult life in Colorado. And then we moved to Montana in 1990. And, you know, I, man, I was on my first deer hunt when I was three years old with dad and <laughs> nice. caught my first fish when I was one and a half or whatever with dad. And so it's just been kind of my life. It's been a lifestyle. It's been the norm ever yeah. since the beginning. <clears throat> and we did it a lot, uh, growing up we always antelope hunted. We always deer hunted. My dad wasn't uh, as much of an elk hunter. You know, we shot some cow elk growing up, Yeah. but deer, uh, deer and antelope hunting, that was our life. That's the norm. And we were always into, you know, watching hunting videos and all of Gordon Eastman stuff growing up and, and all yeah. that stuff. And so that kind of, you know, fueled my passion or is where it started for me to want to video our own adventures growing up just you know watching gotcha. all these shows and be like hey we can do that and, you know we can have a memory and I, I thought video was so cool back then you know once uh, we started with 
those hi8 tapes and then mini, yep. mini dv for the palm cameras and, oh yeah and uh, we tried to get all the latest and greatest of the time in the early 90s and the late 90s and so dad was always into it and let us video and, and that's uh, cool so, so yeah i think just starting at a young age really got my feet wet and fueled the fire and and uh it was something that i never really thought about that's the funny thing is you know, sometimes people ask me like well you know as a kid or as a teenager you knew you were going to get into filming when you're older and it's like nah not really i mean i did i never thought i would be you know somebody lucky enough to do this and you know get paid for it or be on the yeah. show i i never really thought that way yeah and uh, in high school kind of a crazy dream huh yeah it is it is you're like oh, i would never be lucky enough to be in that situation or that scenario or you know how do you get into it in in high school i was like oh, i'm i'm gonna be a game warden when i grow up so i can be out in the woods and hunting all fall and you know dealing with all that and right and, uh, <clears throat> obviously that per- perspective changed a little bit uh, as i got older and i job shadowed for a game warden i was like actually you don't get to do any hunting yeah. in the fall <laughs> you're busy yeah yeah and so um you know after college i, I went to college i got a four-year degree and then i still really didn't have a, a clear direction on what i wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, i i majored in political science with a minor in media arts Hmm. Uh, so I still did video work. I, I wasn't sure that I wanted, you know, to, to go into broadcasting or media in that regard. But um, I, I still learned some of the necessities to, you know, produce something and edit video and you know, a lot of the basics. Yeah. Um, and, but but still, I had no idea I'd be, you know, working for Eastman's four years later. I had absolutely zero idea. So I ended up. Uh, becoming a hunting guide out, out of college. Oh, cool! And so I worked on a ranch in southern Wyoming, south of Bozeman, Montana, and I did that for a few seasons. And then I started branching out more and and working and just really filling up my schedule, guiding wise, from September through the end of general rifle season in Montana, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Okay. And uh, worked for some other outfitters and and uh, yeah, just did more and more and more and uh one year i was working for a ranch outside of norris montana and we, we had a fill-in guide for one week um i don't you, i don't know if you're familiar with outfitters and guides and it, it can not kind a of be a, a, a goat rope a lot of years with you know guides not showing up and somebody mm. can't do this and so we got to need a fill-in there's always you know moving parts that are hard to coordinate and so yeah, we had this fill-in guide for a week, and he ended up uh, Jordan Brashears. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he sounds familiar, show. but not really. Yeah, he's been on the show and stuff on Outdoor okay. Channel and, and whatnot. But he was writing for Eastman's at the time, and this was 2013, 2012, 2012. He was writing for Eastman's at the time, and uh, we guided together for I think two weeks uh, that mm-hmm. he was filling in for the outfitter buddy, and he was like man, you know, Guy and Ike, they, they said I could do some bow hunting for the TV show next year. And I just had to find a camera guy. And he's like, man, I think you'd be perfect for it mm. if, if you want to film. And I was like, heck yeah. And so that's kind of how it all started was just at the outfit I was guiding at meeting Jordan and 
and nice. uh, got in, got into it that way. The next fall, we filmed a bunch of TV shows, and they brought me down here that next spring to work full time. So cool, man! That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about um, kind of having the 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 dream and the passion in you to do it, and sort of having to go around your elbow to get your rear end or whatever. Because I feel like a lot of times people do that. Like we we have this dream. I've done it myself. You have a dream and something you kind of talk yourself out of it like no that's too good to be true no I could never do that um some of us like you are lucky enough to like come back to it and and get back there but a lot of people I feel like just live their whole lives never trying what they really want to do and like just going after it because they talk themselves out of it before they even try exactly exactly uh you're your own worst enemy when it comes to, to that sort of thing yeah and and yeah I mean people ask me all the time like you know, how, how did you get a job or what can I do? Or, you know, what's, what's the thing to do? Where, where can I send my resume? And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's all fine and dandy to send resumes in, but you just usually aren't going to just send a resume in and right. hire to, you know, go, you know, work for a company and, and bow hunt and stuff. And I yeah. also want to stress too, that bow hunting for TV or for YouTube or whatever we do, it, it's just a small fraction of my job. Right. Um, if, if I didn't have some of these other skill sets that I learned in college or survival skills from Boy Scouts, I mean, there's still a lot of other things that I didn't know would prepare me for this job. And it did through my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably wouldn't have this job. For sure. And so it, it's it's not that easy. I would say the biggest thing is it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? With, with Absolutely. Anything. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest thing. But what I tell people is if, if it's something you're passionate about, find a way to do it. And that's become a guide is probably the easiest uh, way to get your feet wet and, and be in the industry. Yeah. Try to find somebody that'll give you a chance and just do it as much as you can. It's, it's just like anything else. If you want to be good at something, you, you need to do it hands-on as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. You guys just jump in there and start sometimes. You don't always have to wait for someone to give you a job or whatever. Sometimes you just got to just start. Yep. However yep. that you looks. To, you have to have the gumption. And, and we're so lucky now because if if you want to try to figure out how to do something or maybe you're not sure, I mean, you can go onto YouTube and yeah. look up on how to do it. <laughs> you, you can basically get a college degree on YouTube for you free. You can. You can. <laughs> and in, in the 90s, like when I was learning archery and how to tune a bow, I mean, I had to do some reading and I, I got onto archerytalk.com and that helped me too. But a lot of it was trial and error. I yeah. just had to go do it and like, okay, why is my arrow shooting crooked? <laughs> and so like, as far as tuning a bow, I had to go figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I wasted a lot of time, but I learned the ins and outs and really got proficient at it. And so it's just that hands-on experience. If you want something bad enough, you just have to put the time in to do it and you can do it there. The only thing that's stopping you is yourself these days. hundred percent, man. Um, yeah, I mean, not, and like not to toot my own horn or anything, but like, that's kind of like with starting this podcast and stuff that I've been trying to do is, um, you know, I had a full-time job doing something else. Um, but I wanted to get into this world and I figured a podcast would be kind of a good way to just get my foot in the door and start. And so, it's been really cool um, seeing how things have progressed over this past year and, and where they're headed. Um, but it's so much like that whole thing is so much like bow hunting itself too. It's like um, 
I was talking to a guy yesterday doing a podcast, and, and he was saying, he, like, he used to talk himself out of going on stocks so many times, like, oh, they're too far, or I'll never make it, or whatever. Sometimes you just got to be aggressive and just realize, hey, you know, I might blow this stock or whatever, but I'm just going to get out there and try it. You know, you're not going to kill it from the glassing knob. Um, it's so much like bow hunting. That's one of those lessons you can almost learn from bow hunting, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That That's what I, like, I was going to say I joke about, but it's true. There's a lot of lessons in bow hunting that you can apply to everyday life mm. that will make you a better person. It's, it's amazing. Or, or maybe not just a better person, but more efficient in what you do in life and how you spend time and your patience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just to, to start. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a lot of positivities that you can, you know, extract from bow hunting and apply that to everyday life. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so how was your, uh, 2021 season, man? Did you have a good season? Yes, I did. It it was, it was really good. Probably one of my best years uh, that I had. Uh, I I didn't have any antelope tags this year, but, uh, deer and elk, uh, man, what a great season. My wife drew some tags and buddies drew some tags. And, uh, yeah, I killed two bulls. My wife killed a bull. Nice. And my, my buddies all killed bulls that we killed between my Wyoming bull and my wife's bull and my two buddies bulls. We killed four bulls over 340. Whoa. So nice was, dude. Yeah. It, it was awesome. I, I really can't complain. Did you get um, them all on film too? Yes. Yep. They'll all <laughs> be beyond the grids, giant public land elk. It's that's sick. We're, yeah. We're striving for and. And I love it. It's it's my passion. I, I love elk. I love everything about elk. And I love spending time out there. And I'm just lucky enough to yeah. have that time to do it. Because uh, once again, you just got to spend the time out there to really understand, you know, what, what the prey is that they're doing. And that's just, it takes time, plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I, I went on my first elk hunt this year. I wasn't hunting. I was filming for um dan elk shape and um you know i was following him around for like eight days it was we were in a really tough unit and a bunch of crazy stuff went down but the last day we finally like snuck in bow range you know of a big i think he was a six by six five by five or six by six but anyway you know and saw him 50 yards bugling and um at that point I was like, okay, now I get the obsession with archery elk. It's like (laughs) amazing. It's like, it was like another worldly experience, like seeing that giant, like prehistoric looking thing, like screaming its head off. It was crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And once, once you have the bug, I mean, you got it for life. It's it's something that really speaks to you. It's you'll, you'll never, you'll, you'll always have the desire and the urge to, you know, just experience more situations like that. Yeah, it, it definitely made sense. So you think, is elk your, your favorite thing to hunt? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah? Elk, I love axis deer, and I love whitetails. Those are my top three, but... Okay. Uh, yeah. So elk, for the axis, is that is that on Hawaii? Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep, Hawaii, Texas. I still need to get to Texas, but I've been I've been doing it for about a decade now, and I it's a, a trip I do every year, and it kind of reminds me of elk hunting a little bit. But, mm. uh, you know, they just that vocalization and stocking in on them. And it's, it's a true challenge. Um, so I, I view it as, you know, hunting axis with a bow is if you, if you can successfully hunt axis with a bow, you can hunt anything in the world with a bow. I'm, mm. I'm convinced that they are 
one of the wiliest, one of the fastest, one of the hardest animals to kill with a bow and arrow. And uh, it's, it's great cross training for bow hunting, anything else. What's the, uh, what, what's the time frame on that Hawaii hunt? That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, you can go anytime. They, okay. they rut year round. Hmm. Um, the, the main rut time is June, July. Uh, I have a hard time going that late because it's summer here. So I hate to go hang out in the tropics in July yeah. or, or even hunt in, during that time frame. So I, I usually go in the wintertime or more velvet. Okay. Uh, not as much rut activity, but yeah, you can, there's no. So the hunting's tags. good all year round, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's animals. So yeah, you can hunt year round. Do you usually go with some kind of outfit or do you go public land or what, what, what's your strategy on that? Yeah, I'm, I go all private now. I've been doing it for quite a while and uh, have some contacts and some great friends over there and, and uh, have access to some ranches over there. So most of the hunting, especially the good hunting, is is all private. So mm. that's, I guess, the only hurdle. Yeah. Um, goats and pigs probably is your only public land option that's viable. Uh, probably goats is the big one. Right. Uh, that is accessible to the public uh other than that most of the hunting over there is private yeah and i know the airfare would probably be pretty expensive getting over there but as far as if you didn't have the contacts but you wanted to set something up is it a pretty expensive hunt or is it fairly affordable or uh yeah i mean it it, it's expensive if you go with an outfitter yeah um the places i go they're just friends so i just they just let me go uh but yeah the airfare is expensive but uh, i know on some of the, the nicer places, you know, where they're killing 30 inch bucks. I mean, you're, you're paying a premium for it. So it's, it's totally. expensive. I, th- I think like Texas is honestly probably a better option if you were to go with an outfitter and you wanted to kill a solid buck. Yeah. I, mean, I think you can go down there and, and shoot a couple for 1500 bucks on, on like a, a good ranch. So nice. I, uh, as you know, Texas is all mostly private as well. Yeah. Um, so for cost effectiveness, Texas, I, I go to Hawaii because my friends and the access I have there. Otherwise, I'd probably just go to Texas. Yeah, for sure, man. That's cool. Yeah. That's definitely a hunt I'd like to do someday. Um, have you ever done the uh, Arizona archery over-the-counter coos mule deer thing in January? You know, I never have. Uh, I never have. I've kind of looked at it over the years. It's never really gotten me that fired up um, for whatever reason. I don't know who's deer, just little animals, little antlers. <laughs> yeah. Um, not not that antlers matter. I mean, I I really enjoy javelina hunting. Yeah. I do that with my dad and and family, and it's a great uh, time to be down you know down in the desert with the family. But for sure, to kill just little little bucks is doesn't really get me too fired up. So I've never really <laughs> I've never really done it. And yeah. It's it's kind of one of those things too. You can you can only do so many. You know, I do axes every year, and I'll do some other pig hunts and spring bear and then my fall so busy. So for I sure. try to, I try to pick and choose and I got to spend time with the, the family too. So no, I get that. You, got, you yeah. definitely got to prioritize, man. Yeah. It's yeah. That, that's a good way of putting it. It's just prioritizing. And, and I know a lot of guys that, that do it in January and go bow hunt coos and, and mule deer down there. And it's a great way to get out of the, the winter weather and yeah, great challenge of course. And coos deer from what I've heard there, you know, one of the hardest animals as well to kill with a bow like, like axis. Uh, so yeah, it'd be a great challenge and I, I will do it some way. 
uh, someday. Mark yeah. my words on that. I, I need to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I ask because I'm headed down there in January, the first time. And so um, everyone I've been talking to lately, I've been trying to pick their brain on if they've done it before. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the areas that I've been uh, javelina hunting, I've, it's been pretty sparse for deer. I mean, I've, I have seen bucks, but it hasn't been quite good enough for me to buy a yeah deer tag and go do it i was thinking about it this year since i have javelina tags this year oh nice uh, but uh we actually have a ham hunt with my my dad and my wife so that's in february so it's it's after the archery season so i'm probably gonna well i, I will miss the archery down there but uh, one of these years it will line up <laughs> yeah yeah i hear you man um so you mentioned spring bear you're big you're a big time spring bear guy huh yeah, yeah, I really enjoy it. I grew up in Montana doing it, and uh, as a guide too, did some guided hunts uh, for spring bear. It, it's a, such a fun time to get out there. Uh, I've, I've seen and had some of the coolest encounters in the spring with elk and deer and bears, of course. But you know, elk and velvet and uh, cows. Yeah. You know, cow elk starting to calve and stuff. And so you you just get to see things that you normally wouldn't in the fall. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's just if, if you love the outdoors it's kind of a must must do type of deal time of year and usually the weather's nice and everything's green it, it's a lot of fun yeah i'm looking to try to put together my first uh spring bear hunt this year um do you do mainly montana or you kind of switch it up every year or what's like do you have a go-to state oh uh, yeah montana well, there's just more bears there I, I do hunt in wyoming every year uh and you know, Wyoming can be good. It's a little, a little more difficult to find bears. Everybody can bait here. I don't, I don't usually bait. Uh, I, I did sit on a bait this last year with my wife to try to get her a bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I don't, I'm not the bait type. I like getting out there and hiking and running around and stuff. So yeah. Montana is where it's at for that. But, uh, you know, usually every two or three years I'll kill a bear in Wyoming, get lucky enough to find one and stock in on it. But the density yeah. just isn't here, you know, in the north, northern part of Wyoming and north central northeast. There's just not uh, a, t- a ton of them. Yeah. So, I, what what kind of like what kind of type areas do you like to key in on looking for those bears or in your e scouting? Like, what's what are the type of areas that stand out to you for those? Yeah, that's a tough one because just like elk, the spring bears, you kind of find them where you find them. Hmm. But uh, I always like those green pockets, uh, north faces, that green up. And, and it, that type of grass, it will stand out to you. It'll be, I call it nuclear green. Like it's just greener yeah. than the rest of the green out there. Yeah. Um, the pockets of green that might be partly shaded or in the shade where they don't get burned off. The last couple of years, it seems like it's been a little tough where the slopes that are south facing or in direct sunlight, they get burned off pretty quick. So your, mm. your window of bears hitting those open slopes is pretty small. It's been pretty early in May and uh, some of the shaded stuff or this, the stuff that's a little more mosaically burned. I like burned areas too. That's, you know, areas yeah. that aren't nuked, but just enough for a lot of that vegetation and there's some shade. So it's not getting beat by the sun all day. That's the type of uh, habitat that I feel like bears, stick to that stuff for a longer duration than they do, you know, on the slopes that get burned off quick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess elevation wise, you still kind of find them where you find them. 
Uh, most of the bigger bears like to den up high on north faces. So I, I do check the high country. I will check snow line uh, for bears just coming out of their dens in the middle of May time frame. And the middle of May up high, I mean, it's still pretty wintry up there. Yeah, I bet. So, you know, it sounds kind of late in the year, but a lot of those bigger bears are the last ones to come out in the springtime. Uh, I've killed a, my biggest bear was June 9th and it was on the oh, North nice. face, uh, right below a big scree slope and some cliffs and stuff. I'm sure he had a den right up in there and, and, uh, he was just right below that denning area in this really rich green pocket park. And, you know, I think these older bears that get that size to them, they, they figure it out. They have it figured out where they have a program. They're like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to den here because I know in the springtime, this is going to be, give me the best feed. Like they want to be there in the springtime. I think they have it figured out in that regard. Whereas like littler bears, you just kind of find them where you find them. I've found them down on the Creek and I found them all the way on top on the slopes. Um, It just takes a little more time for them to get it figured out, you know? Yeah. They probably key on some of those areas. They know they can just roll right out of their den. There's going to be just a salad bar sitting right there for them. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's why they, they got that age on them. And that's why they're that big is because they've found the primo feed all year. Yeah, man. Um, so I know you're, do you do any rifle hunting or are you just a hundred percent archery? Personally, I'm a hundred percent archery. I, I love rifle hunting. I love uh, guiding people. Um, and, and when I say guiding now, I don't, I don't guide, I don't work for an outfitter, but just family and friends. I, I love sure. being out there. I love filming. I love taking my wife hunting and my friends. It's just as fun for me to, to see them experience hunting for the first time or, or kill a big bull or whatever it might be. I, I get the same thrill as I do for hunting for myself. Yeah. Um, I'm just at the stage where, you know, for the company, I'm, I'm here to bow hunt. Now, there's plenty of guys that, that rifle hunt. I used to rifle hunt a lot more. Uh, before Eastman's, but it's, it's fine. I, it was kind of a, a good a time in my life too, where I was just looking for the, the next challenge, the next level up. And, and I was really getting into bow hunting. So it all worked out really well uh, for me. Cause that, yeah. that, you know, that's why I'm here is for the archery side of things. So, gotcha. um, yeah, all, all types of hunting is fun. I, I love waterfowl hunting. I, oh, okay. I got my teeth doing that growing me up too. teenage years and awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Uh, yeah, that was wanted- my dad. Like that was how he introduced me. Well, first dove hunting because it's you know warm and you're out you know kind of chill. Uh, but yeah, I remember being in a duck blind, probably four or five years old or something. Yep, yep, and and that's I think that's the goes back to how my dad raised us is if there was opportunity he and we had the interest he made sure that it was going to happen or that we could get out and do it. Because especially at a young age, I, I think it's so important to uh, really fuel the fire if you have those interests and, and not put that fire out. And you, know, you see it all the time with kids where they, they don't have a chance to get out or, or whatever the case may be. And yeah. you know, they get stuck more on video games or TV or yeah. inside stuff. And, and uh, if, if yeah, kids, that's such a vital time to get them involved in the outdoors with the hopes that'll stick with them the rest of their lives. Yeah, man. Did, you may have mentioned this, but did you say you have kids or no? 
Yeah, I do. I have two stepkids, uh, a boy, he's 12 okay. and girl, she's nine. And then I have a one-year-old uh, little boy. That's oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's a lot of fun and, and Blake, he's 12. He shot his first cow elk this year. Nice. Uh, it it kind of goes back to, uh, I was thinking about that when, when you asked me if I rifle hunted, but seeing Blake in on his first elk, you know, there was a, a nice six point bull and three cows. Well, there's two cows in the yearling and we got into 50 yards and that bull bugled. He got to hear an elk bugle for the, his first time. Mm. And, and, uh, he shot his cow elk at 50 yards, uh, frontal straight on. Mm. And it went like 10 yards and tipped over and to see his face after that. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what gets me really fired up. And those, those type of experiences, it, it's so cool to be a part of. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. I took my, um, that Wyoming hunt I was talking about, I took my dad, my uncle and my cousin out there and they, they're, you know, they're hunters. My uncle's a pretty serious hunter, but never really gone out West, always dreamed of it. And, um, and my cousin, he's more of kind of a casual hunter. He likes hunting, but he's just, you know, he, he's just not the type of guy to like put in tons of time and effort and, and research. So, so I put, you know, I put the whole trip together. I got us in for our draw together. I even helped my cousin get his rifle set up with a new optic and helped him sight it in. And, um, and then kind of led the group out there. It was kind of cool because it was the first time like me leading a trip and taking, you know, my dad hunting, you know, he'd taken me hunting for so long. This is the first time I was like taking him out. And so, but yeah, I was able to, to film and, um, and be there with my cousin. He took his first, you know, Western big game animal ever, which is a, was a nice, uh, antelope doe. And that was really cool, man. I mean, like I said, I have just as much good fond memories of that as I was able to fill my tag on a pretty nice buck too. But, um, just putting the whole process together and then watching it come, come to fruition and getting him on the animal was, was really special. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. You, you can't, top experiences like that even though if you're out there and you do it enough for yourself you have some a pretty awesome experiences but sharing it with your loved ones or close friends I mean, that that's what it's all about yeah for sure man i gotta show you i just got my um my buck back i gotta show you He's not like a monster, but he's he's a pretty nice little guy. Oh heck yeah! Got he's a broken heavy. yeah, I got a broken cutter on that one side. Wow, wow. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, man, that was stoked on him. That's a beast, dude. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was fun. It was um. Yeah, it was just it was cool. I mean, there was a lot of pressure in our unit, um, like these. So we were driving along and we saw, we saw like seven or eight antelope on the top of this ridge and we booked up there and it was about a mile and, um, got up there. As soon as we got to the top, I see two guys like getting in a side by side and I was like, ah, like we're done, you know, like, but we just kind of like stayed put and we're patient and kind of, cause we'd seen before the antelope, like they'll take off. And then they'll kind of like sometimes circle, like make a big old loop and just kind of come back to the same area. Yep. So that's kind of what we did. We just kind of stuck around there. We kind of, then we started, started sneaking a little bit. Also those things like we weren't used to, but the, you know, I'm sure, you know, they just, they can disappear in what looks like flat open country. 
And so we just kind of kept stalking along and saw a doe and we got down and I saw the buck like just stick his head right up over like the, the top of the little fold. And then we were able to crawl up on him, but it was, it was a really fun hunt, man. Heck yeah. Those antelope hunts like that with, with family and, you know, physically they're not as challenging as deer elk hunting as you yeah. know. And so that's, that's nice to have a break <laughs> in that regard <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing that flat terrain out there, especially bow hunting. I mean, once oh, I can't imagine it, sneaking up on one of these things with a bow, man, like hats off to you guys. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely difficult, but as you saw, I mean, there's, there's more terrain and more cover to work with out there than what you probably initially thought. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, there's, like you said, even, even like if, it, if you look out in an area and it looks flat, there's going to be folds in there that you can actually kind of work to your advantage a little bit. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. If you just got to look differently, but uh, it, yeah, that's why it is doable to shoot those guys with, with a bow and get close to them. Yeah. You do have to wait sometimes for them to get in a, in a good spot where there is more cover. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, it's, it's totally doable and it, it's a hoot for sure. Yeah, man, that's, it'd be tough. Yeah, that that was coming off of, that was like pretty much right after that hunt I did with Dan, which was really physical. And then it was nice to, I mean, we did, we did a lot of driving and then like, I think the most we ever walked was like a mile or something yeah, away yeah. from the, away from the road, um, which you probably could have walked in more and gotten away from people a little more because we were in an easy draw unit, but um it worked out, man. So it was fun. Oh yeah. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Um, so yeah. So I did want to ask you a little bit about, um, some bow hunting stuff because so the, the County I grew up in was a no rifle County in terms of for whitetail deer hunting. So I grew up bow hunting, um, and didn't know anything about rifles. Um, then kind of when I started getting into Western hunting, I had a pretty big learning curve and spent the last couple of years really honing in on getting good with a rifle and, and being able to set it up and that whole thing, which is, there's actually more to it than some people might think. But, yep. um, so I haven't been bow hunting a whole lot except for around here, whitetail, um, some, um, so I'm a little behind, I would say in terms of my just ability to like, you know, work on my bow myself and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm still, I'm still literally shooting with the same release I've had since I was like 14 years old, <laughs> not even exaggerating. It's the same one. So, um, and it's the same bow. Luckily the bow I got is still holds up as a Matthews switchback XT, um, <laughs> yeah, yep. which is a legit bow still. So I haven't really upgraded my bow and I've upgraded pieces and parts here and there, but, um, but ever since I found out I'm going in January on this bow hunt, I've been, you know, shooting my bow every day and, um, I got, you know, I'm pretty good, um, with my field points. I'm still, um, you know, my, uh, my broadheads are revealing a little bit of a bad tune. Maybe they're kind of flying funky. Um, but I'm kind of thinking like, especially in terms of like, you know, I thought about getting a new release and, and all this stuff. And I was like, man, I think with a month before I go out there, it's, it's probably too soon to really make any serious tweaks. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to be just practicing, like hammering in more and more bad habits. Uh -huh. 
Um, so I don't know, what are, are there some like kind of minor things that I could try or just practice techniques that you might recommend like in a short amount of time where I could be, um, cause I noticed one major thing was I noticed that I, I like by default was like hammering the trigger, just like, you know, pulling it hard. So I've been working on trying to get a smoother release and that has helped a little bit, but is there, are there some things that you would recommend kind of working on practicing in a short amount of time before I head out there in January? Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, does the boat fit you? I mean, the, your draw length, that so. you haven't changed much since you were 14. Or? Yeah, I got it. I did, I did go and have that, the draw length checked and I got, you know, um, new strings on it. So it's not been completely untouched or anything like that. Okay. Um, so it, it does fit. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would say your grip and your release hand are probably the most important things as long as your draw length is correct. Um, but gripping right, that can that's probably the number one thing that will affect your consistency. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as far as shooting goes, yeah, I always make contact with my finger on the trigger before I pull through. And so you don't like slap your trigger. Sure. Um, that's a big one too. Uh, are you talking broadheads aren't shooting great for you uh, or? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's the main thing I noticed. Like, you know, I'm pretty good with my field points and I throw my broadheads on and I'm getting some of them flying, like, you know, like doing weird stuff or they might shoot a little low or just, just generally not as good as my field points. And I asked, I was actually on the phone with Dan and I was like, you know, what kind of like, um, broadheads you recommend because my broadheads are all over the place and it just kind of revealed like how much i need to step up my game this off season in terms of archery because he started rattling off like 30 things i need to do and check and i was like dude i don't got time for all that like i <laughs> i got like a month i'm not going to be like taking my bow apart and like starting from ground zero at this point you know right right so what what broadheads are you shooting right now right now i just got these like it's just the ones i've been shooting forever is these like three muzzy fixed three blade he he recommended um i try some um uh grim reaper micro hades three blades so i ordered a couple of those to try out but in terms of design it's very similar to those yeah yeah no i mean the the broadhead you're you're shooting there it's it's not going to cause you a problem you're not shooting like a bad broadhead or a big a two-blade broadhead that's going to plane bat on you or anything. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think your broadheads are fine, but maybe you're just your broadhead tune uh, isn't exactly dialed. So that that could be a thing. Um, what what's your draw weight and your arrow spine? What arrows are you shooting? I'm shooting. My draw weight is seventy. Okay. And I got these gold tip hunter three forties. Okay. What's your draw length? Oh man. I I don't even know. I think it's thirty one. Okay, so it's pretty long then. Yeah, I'm like six foot. I got pretty long arms. Um, again, you're just you're just showing how much like work I have to do. That I don't know exactly, but I think it's thirty one. Yeah, if if it's twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, you you might be a little weak on your spine. Like a three hundred might be better. You you don't want to change that now. So right. Okay, w- without redoing everything, I would say. And I do plan, like I said, this off season, one of my like main things is like really dive back into archery and get, get set up correctly. 
like yep. I said, I, I just don't, I don't want to go changing like everything with a month left to go and be like at ground zero. You know what I mean? Right. Right. What I would do if I were you is see if your broadheads will shoot consistently in any way. I mean, will they shoot low of your field tips every time or left of your field tips every time? Have you seen? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough thing is like, it doesn't seem to be too consistent. Like I would say on, on the whole they're shooting low. Um, but like just the other day I shot one and it was like wiggling all over the place, man. It was weird. So are those, are those fletchings? Are those factory fletched? Yes. So they're probably straight or one degree offset at, at maximum. Spin that just a little more so I can see. Yeah, it looks, well, this one got cut by a broadhead, but yeah, it looks like they're just slightly spot, like at a tilt. Yeah, so it's probably a well, one degree offset. I would go full helical. Um, I guess that's my next question. Do you have the ability to get those refletched full helical? Um, now, I mean, do I have the ability? So can you, is those the kind of thing, like I've used those things before where you like put on the fletch and you dip it in boiling water and it like seals it. Are those legit or is that? Yeah. I mean, you can do those. Yeah. Those are quick. I, I think, uh, boning actually makes, it's called a quick fletch where you can do that and they're helical. Yeah. Um, or you could go to a bow shop and say, Hey, Fletch these up real quick. I just need full helical on. I might be able to do. I might be able to do that. Yeah, that that's what I would do if I were you. And then that way, just with more spin, you'll get way more arrow stability, and then you'll have more consistent broadhead shots. And then you can see from there: Do I need to raise my rest? Do I need to lower my rest, or whatever? Because the goal is for those broadheads to group with your field tips, and that's completely doable if your your arrow is set up to fly straight i mean you need to make sure you have the right spine first which you're probably borderline but it's it's too soon to switch now so yeah i would go to a bow shop and get a dozen of them refletched to full helical and i think that's going to make a huge difference it's going to really open your eyes and you're like wow my, my group's just tightened up a ton and my broadheads are way more consistent now cool I think that's what I would do given that you have what a month or less than a month yeah. to your hunt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good, man. Um, what type of uh, release do you shoot? I shoot the, it's the true ball short and sweet. Uh, the S two, it's a second gen one. Uh, it's, it's a hook style release. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like single caliper. I don't like, uh, I don't like double ca- dual caliper. Single caliper releases are are good, uh, but this is a hook style, uh, just less wear and tear on your string loop. Gotcha. And, and is uh, it, it a, a thumb release or? No, nope. I'm an index finger guy. Okay. I I've had this conversation with Brian and Levi Morgan, and basically Levi told me if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I I haven't had target panic. I haven't had any issues. I'm plenty effective in the field so i've i've never made the switch i don't want to cause a problem if i don't have a problem sure Uh, so i've always stuck with the index style uh you know wrist strap type release nice okay um and then are you you know i guess there's different schools of thought too some guys are like you know go out and shoot one to three arrows and make them perfect if you can or 
like kind of how I grew up was just go out and shoot as much as you possibly can. What, uh, how do you practice if you're going to be putting a practice session in? It, it depends on how long it's been since I shot. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm, you know, a couple months before season, I'll, I'll shoot a fair amount and, uh, you know, get my muscles worked and, and fatigued a little bit. But if I start feeling fatigue or I start getting shaky at full draw, uh, I'll, I'll hang it up for the day just because that's when bad habits can start to develop. Mm. Uh, you, you definitely don't want to overdo it. Uh, and then when I get closer to game time with hunting season coming up, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just shoot like three arrows a day Yeah, and, and just shoot one, two or three and just see how that's going. Uh, but, uh, I don't like long practice sessions. Uh, if I shoot 12 or 15 times a day, that's plenty. Uh, you can definitely overshoot for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Um, any other just like general bow hunting tips? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean with archery, it's, it's so easy to overthink things. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of guys, it's kind of weird to say, but you're like, you'll try too hard. I, I, I see that in beginners. They, they want to be successful and mm-hmm. they just don't have the experience and they're, they're trying so hard and hiking so hard. And, and that's, that usually doesn't pay off. It, it can pay off, but you just got to relax a little bit and, you know, believe in, in the system or believe in the program that you're doing. And that comes with experience. That's the tough thing. And yeah. I do these seminars and stuff to, and, you know, to, you know, hoping to help people with elk hunting or just bow hunting out West. And, you know, I can, I can sit here and tell you what you need to do, but, you don't really learn until you go do it for yourself and you yeah, fail totally. or, or you succeed. And it just takes a lot of failure. I mean, when I was a teenager, I didn't kill a bull elk with my bow, uh, until my fifth year hmm. into hunting elk with a bow. And I mean, I did hunt Western Montana. There's lower elk densities and it was tough and yada, yada, but it's, it's not something that's going to come quickly uh, for you, unless, you know, you have some really good hunting, then, you know, it probably will come quickly. And I never did have great hunting growing up, (laughs) Yeah, but uh, it's just all experience. And I would say the biggest thing for me is the guiding that I did out of college Mm -hmm. that really got me, you know, a lifetime's worth of elk hunting experience in just a few years, because, you know, I would be on 12, one year I did 12 bull elk hunts, successful bull elk hunts, a year. Wow. And so that's just, that's months in the field observing elk, seeing what they do, seeing how they act. Yeah. And it's priceless. It is, it is, it's absolutely priceless. And it just comes down to, you know, if you really want to get good at something, you just have to spend the time and make Mm -hmm. the sacrifices. That's kind of part of it, but for sure, uh, slower is faster. Patience kills the buck. Uh, Don't overthink things. I, I guess that would be kind of my, 30,000 foot level to bow hunting on what yeah. I could tell you. No, that's good stuff, man. Um, so I know we got tag season coming up here. Um, you got anything in the works or anything planned you're excited about for next year? Or are you still kind of looking at that? Yeah, still kind of looking. I'm still crying in my soup a little bit. I didn't get an Idaho elk tag. Oh, you didn't? Were you in that no. insane line online? Yeah, it's my own fault. I was like 25 minutes late. And I was okay. twenty four thousand in line, and I think uh, I was twenty three thousand. No kidding. Or no, 
maybe I was 13,000. I don't remember. I picked up I picked up a deer tag and an elk tag cuz they were concurrent um in a in the Frank Church. Nice. Yep. Okay. Have you ever hunted in there? Nope. Okay. Nope, I, I haven't. There and I I mean I should say there were still tags available, you know, just not I the one you in, wanted. In system. Yeah, in the system, but uh, not even close to the ones I wanted. I mean, I yeah. got a panhandle tag up north, but yeah. Um, if if it's like that, I mean, I'll just I'll go to Colorado. You know, if I am going to go to a, a another single digit unit, I I did that this year in Idaho. Same thing happened to me last year, and it was single digit success rates. And hmm. the, the hunting reminded me of the crappy hunting that I grew up doing in Western Montana. So, <laughs> yeah. It's just so low success. I, I did find elk and shot a bull, but it, nice. it was, it was really difficult. Uh, so yeah, probably Colorado. There's always a general in Wyoming that I can mm-hmm. hunt if I don't draw. And I'm really looking at, I, I, I want to get to Alaska this year for either caribou oh, nice. or blacktail. Yeah, so, that's, that's, yeah, it was, uh, I was, I had to push our podcast back an hour because I was trying you know, to get into 40 mile air it took me 45 minutes over 200 calls. And I finally got in and I'm on the wait list. No kidding. <laughs> have you ever, you ever, have you ever flown with 40 or tried to get in with no, them? No, I haven't. No, no. So they like open their phone lines on like a, well, first they take a week of return customers only for booking. And then they open their phone lines on like one day and they sell out in like 30 minutes. Golly. It was like calling is like, you know, like calling into a radio show back in the day, like trying to get like win tickets or something. <laughs> it's basically like the phone version of the Idaho madness to yep. get a tag. But wow. um so you're 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 thinking about what, August for Alaska or what? Yeah, that or around Halloween for deer. Okay. Like what like um Kodiak maybe? Yeah, maybe Kodiak. I got some friends out of Wrangle uh that I would go go with cool um, i i did try to hunt prince of wales uh four years ago in august and we got rained out we didn't even get a go oh man we got so much rain landslides and yeah all that jazz so we ended up just fishing the whole time which was still fun but, yeah uh, yeah we did kodiak in august this year um oh, did no like a, yeah an alpine hunt it was sick man have you done it in august yet no no not in, on kodiak no oh man it was really cool it was like it was like a it was like a poor man's sheep hunt almost. Like we were, we were in like goat country, um, and we ended up you know we killed three bucks. My buddy shot a um, I think it netted a hundred and seven. Whoa! Yeah, he get, he got in the book and everything. Um, wow! Giant. And I filmed the whole thing. I got the whole thing on camera. Um, it was cool, man. I would recommend that hunt for sure. But two years ago, I ate tag soup on caribou. So I think I'm going to try caribou this year. Nice. Heck yeah. That, that's, a, I still don't know what to do with that. Cause you know, with caribou, I mean, the best time is in September, but I'd rather hunt elk and yeah. Well, I, is that you say the best time in September because they're rutting and they're hard horned or what? Yes, exactly. I, I don't really want a velvet caribou. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I still would hunt them hundred percent. I I would rather have a hard horned with you know yeah. like a big white mane. Yeah, the big wizard mane thing. Yeah, going. exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, but, I'm uh, with you there, but I heard the meat is awful once they start running rutting. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. I is have. that true? I don't know. I mean, I've heard the same thing about moose. 
Yeah, I, I mean, there's always. I feel like every game animal, there's always somebody like, oh, it's awful. But like, exactly. if you, in my experience, if you treat the meat right and you cook it right, it's good no matter what. But I don't know. I could be wrong. No, I think you're right. I think there's certain animals that can be bad, but I think as a whole, most people don't really know how to take care of the meat. Totally. I, I mean, when I when I went moose hunting in British Columbia, you know, hunting moose during the rut, the peak of the rut, they're like, oh yeah, by you know September fifteenth, those moose they start drinking, you know, cow pee and their own pee and this and that. I heard that they're, about caribou too. Yeah, and yeah, I've I've heard that with caribou as well. But my moose was rutted up, stunk up. He was gored up. He had all these pus pockets on him. Yeah. And if any bull was drinking pee, it was him. And <laughs> and he was great. I yeah. mean, the meat was fantastic. So I, I have heard that with caribou that they can get the same way. I don't have any firsthand experience, but. Um, yeah, dude. I don't know. I think, I think most of that's just garbage to be honest with you, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's sure. cool, man. Yeah. I, I hope we get up there too. That's uh Alaska is amazing. When was the last time you were up there? Uh, it's been since 16 or 17, 2017. Okay. Yeah, cool. It's been a few years for sure. Cool, man. Yeah, we went, uh, we did a walk in caribou hunt two years ago and had a couple of successful stalks, meaning we stalked into rifle range, but there were smaller bulls and we just weren't 100% sure they were not cows. So we yep. didn't shoot. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was tough. But, you know, it was a really awesome trip, life-changing trip. And then last year we did Kodiak. That was that was really fun. But um, that's still, I still need to get my caribou. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. That's one of the animals, too, that I've always wanted to hunt. And, Would you uh, be looking at flying in or walking in? or? Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm guessing probably the, the walk-in hunt like what you're talking about the archery deal and uh yeah up yeah. on the hall road or something yeah yeah and just hitting it hard and seeing what oh happens. yeah because if you're bow hunting you can hunt right off the road but if you're rifle you gotta be five miles correct yeah exactly gotcha exactly. okay cool man so, yeah i'm looking at that i got some friends up there that have a truck and and so logistically it'd be the easiest one to do if if i can't get flights figured out like what you yeah talking because i know that's been a bugger up there the last few years so yeah well, air transport—they're expensive too. Um, yeah. There are other good ones that are not so hard. It's just forty mile in particular is just almost impossible. Just they have like the best reputation, and um, they're just kind of the one everybody wants to get with. So I always try, but I've never successfully gotten with them. Um, but there are other good air air transporters out there. Yeah, no, that's that's what I've heard too. I mean, I heard that forty mile, and that's the thing is. You know, I think, what did your flights to Kodiak cost you? It's like 3500 bucks, isn't it? The bush flight or the commercial? Uh, I guess like a bush flight. No, dude, it's cheaper than Caribou. It's like half. It's like 1500 bucks. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not bad at all. So you fly commercial to Kodiak? Fly, yeah, fly. you fly commercial to Kodiak, which was 800 or something. So we got it well in advance. And then, yeah, um, we flew with Seahawk Air. Um, he's he's one of the most experienced dudes there is. Um, you know Brad Brooks from Argali? Do you know him? Um, anyway, it doesn't no, matter. I don't think so. He was flying out the same day. We saw anyway, but um, he he flew with Island Air. They're really good too. But yeah, I mean, um, 
what's the dude's name? Roland at Seahawk. Um, yeah, was, I think it was like 1500 bucks. And, uh, you know, he, he was really cool too. He like, he flew us probably around like five or six different lakes and let us pick which one we wanted to go to. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And, uh, it was awesome, man. That's cool. Yeah. yeah really no, cool I, hunt. I, I need to get up there and do it. Just, yeah. Brad, he, uh, he shot three with his bow. Like <laughs> it's, no uh, yeah, it's, um, we were rifle hunting and we got one like the first full day and then some like weather moved in and we didn't, the bucks disappeared for four days. And, uh, the last morning me and my buddy got a double, like he shot his jumped over. I jumped on the pack. I shot mine like 30 seconds apart got the whole thing on camera. Um, <laughs> on the last day. Yeah. It was pretty crazy the way it worked out, but, um, awesome. I would definitely I recommend that hunt. I would love to do it with a bow, and I, I've always wanted to hunt them during the rut too, when they're all swelled yeah. up. Big old double throat patch and black forehead, and man, mm-hmm. they're, they're such a cool looking animal. I mean, yeah. probably the coolest deer. They are, yeah. And just uh, where we were, it was just it was like Jurassic Park up there, man. Like just green and salmon berries everywhere, grizzlies running around everywhere. Um, really cool. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah man well anyway dude um it was good talking to you i don't want to take up too much your too much more of your time but um i appreciate you jumping on with me are you guys going to be at uh hunt expo yep yep company will be down there cool um, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on going out there so maybe we can link up and i'll say what's up good yeah heck yeah no absolutely it sounds good cool man um well let people know where they can find you and beyond the grid um because i know you guys got some really awesome hunts on youtube and different stuff where can people find you guys yeah so we're on all social media platforms uh, beyond the grid tv and uh youtube of course on the eastman's hunting journals youtube channel uh, it's called yeah beyond the grid we do a little bit of everything a lot of elk and mule deer and uh yeah whatever comes across their plate uh so yeah give us a follow give us a watch it especially public land stuff where I, I strive to always do hunts that the average guy can go do mm. because that's what I grew up doing. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun with it and, uh, work hard at it too. So, yeah, man, that's awesome. I know you guys got some really good stuff. So I've been, I've been watching some of it. So, well, thanks again for your time, man. Hopefully we can link up this February and, um, appreciate you. Heck yeah. Sounds good. Let me know if you need anything. All right, brother. Thanks. Thanks. Yep, you bet. All right, have a good one.